Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Melanie C. and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, April 5th, 2017 and this is the 10 a.m. Eastern Time meeting. Today we are reading from the big book and we are on page 22. We're going to start with paragraph 4 for context. We know that while the alcoholic keeps and we will finish with our focus study with the last paragraph, suspect they are down for the count. Today's readers are the 12 Steps, Christine M., the 12 Traditions, Penny L.C., and reading the text and supporting today will be Gina R., Rocky I., and Mary H. The reference numbers for yesterday and today, the 10 a.m. meeting yesterday, the reference number is 9796. 9796 and for the 7am April 5th meeting that just concluded an hour ago is 9798 9798 Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience strength and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating we welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively there are no dues or fees for members we are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Christine M. to please read the 12 steps. Yes, good morning, everyone. My name is Christine M., gracefully recovered, compulsive overeater in Missouri. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive readers and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for the service opportunity, and I pass. Thank you, Christine M. I will now ask Penny L.C. to please read the 12 traditions. 
Thank you, Melanie. This is Penny L.C., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from the state of Washington. The 12 traditions are, one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for everyone doing service, and thank you, Melanie, and I pass. Thank you, Penny Elsie. Appreciate that. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share? but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our absence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. And once you are done sharing, please let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. That would also include trying to mute by using that on your own phone that still interferes technologically. Anyway, thank you for that. So today we resume our study of the big book on page 22. We're going to read paragraph 4 for context. And then our focus discussion will be on page 23, paragraph 1 and 2. It begins with, we know that while the alcoholic keeps, and then the last line on paragraph 2, page 23, is suspect they are down for the count. And I will ask Gina R. to begin our reading and study today. Good morning. Thank you so much, Mel, and everybody else for doing service. This is Gina R., recovered in Colorado. We know that while the alcoholic keeps away from drink, as he may do for months or years, he reacts much like other men. 
We are equally positive that once he takes any alcohol whatever into his system, something happens, both in the bodily and mental sense, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. The experience of any alcoholic will abundantly confirm this. These observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. If you ask him why he started on that last bender, the chances are he will offer you any one of a hundred alibis. Sometimes these excuses have a certain plausibility, but none of them really make sense in the light of the havoc an alcoholic's drinking bout creates. They sound like the philosophy of the man who, having a headache, beats himself on the head with a hammer so that he can't feel the ache. If you draw this fallacious reasoning to the attention of an alcoholic, he will laugh it off or become irritated and refuse to talk. Once in a while, he may tell the truth. And the truth, strange to say, is usually that he has no more idea why he took that first drink than you have. Some drinkers have excuses with which they are satisfied part of the time. But in their hearts, they really do not know why they do it. Once this malady has a real hold, they are baffled a lot. There is the obsession that somehow, someday, they will beat the game, but they often suspect they are down for the count. Wow. Um, I'm going to start at the end and work my way back a little bit. Being down for the count. I am uh, a compulsive eater of the type where I didn't have a lot of the physical evidence uh, to quote unquote prove that I was a compulsive eater. I didn't put on 100 or 200 pounds. The weight that I put on was between my head and on my shoulders. That is where my weight gain really took hold and that is what brought me down for the count. But it was definitely the food that um, facilitated um, my ultimate surrender, and I'm very, very grateful for that. Uh, again, going back up, I'm going to go to that first um, sentence in that paragraph. Once in a while, he may tell the truth. Um, when I was in the food, I didn't even know that I really had a problem because, like I said, I didn't have some of these other issues that a lot of people had. I knew I wanted to lose a few pounds here and there, and I was able to do that successfully on um, different diet plans. But I I didn't know why I ate the way I ate. Um, my family would um, make jokes about it, and so I, you know, just thought I was the the brunt and the butt of jokes. You know, if you heard this sound in the middle of the night. That was me um, putting Ready Whip into my mouth, standing at the refrigerator with that light on and holding that can upside down and just filling my mouth. Um, I didn't really know that that was not something I probably shouldn't be doing. There was a part of me that, that really um, felt that it was, there was something wrong, though, but I didn't know, I didn't know what it was. Um, I wasn't even applying fallacious reasoning, let alone any reasoning to it at that point. 
Um, and then traveling up, therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind. I now know, um, after working the steps with a recovered sponsor and submitting myself to other recovered people and reaching out to newcomers and just hearing what this disease does and how it works and how it operates, I know that my mind is um, uh, basically a vessel through which um, there are God thoughts and then there are thoughts of my ego and then there are other thoughts that are not um, in alignment with God's will for me. And I have not been able to uh, naturally align that with God um, in a way that helps me. And it's only through this program um, that I am now doing that and that I can admit when I'm not honest and have the courage to change that. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Gina R. Who would like to discuss paragraph one and two on page 23 of the big book? Stephanie N. Hi, Stephanie. Anyone else this morning? Star one? Courtney B. Courtney B. Carrie K. Carrie K. Who else? Mary H. Mary H. Anyone else? That's a good lineup. Let's start with that. Thank you so much, everyone. I have Stephanie N, Courtney B, Carrie K, and Mary H. Good morning, Stephanie. Hi, good morning. This is Stephanie N, recovered in Kansas. Um, some drinkers have excuses with which they are satisfied part of the time. I had a lot of excuses, not just for my food, but for my unmanageable life. I had excuses for everything. Um, I had to accept my powerlessness and my lack of control. Admitting my powerlessness in step one wasn't enough for me. I really struggled with that. I admitted it. I knew something was wrong, but I didn't feel it in my heart. And until I really accepted it and I knew deep within in my heart of hearts that I was powerless and accepted my powerlessness and accepted that I had the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind, I didn't um, experience any change, but once I accepted that and let go of those excuses for why I go to the food and why my life is unmanageable, um, I, I just, I didn't have, I, I couldn't gain any traction. But once I let go of those things, um, that idea that someday I would beat the game, um, things started to change. And for that, I'm really grateful. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Stephanie. Courtney B, star one. Courtney B, Northern California. Can you hear me? I can. Well, I really love once the malady has a real hold, there are thoughts a lot. There is the obsession that somehow, someday, they'll beat the game. Because for me, I must confess, I really believed if I just got fixed, if I just figured out what happened in my past, what was wrong with me, I really was living with the secret hope of one day being fixed. I'd become a normal eater. And sometimes I think, I wonder if I've been 
working these 12 steps with the hope of being cured. Why didn't therapy work for me? Was there a tragedy in my life? I always thought if I figured out my past and got healed, I'd become a normal eater. And then I thought, well, in AA, you'd never hear that. They don't have that belief. They work the steps, but they don't think, oh, good, now I'll be a normal drinker. And that really, really helped for me to understand, oh, I've accepted the disease. I didn't cause it. I can't cure it. I can't control it, but I can arrest it a day at a time. And after that, therapy has become very beneficial, but I've quit waiting to be fixed and committed myself to recovery. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Courtney B. Carrie K. Good morning. This is Carrie K. Recovered in Boulder, Colorado. Um, as noted by the earlier chairs, um, there's a lot in those paragraphs, I think, that rings true. Uh, the sentence I was going to comment on is where it says, we are equally positive that once he takes alcohol, whatever, into his system, something happens both in the bodily and mentally sen mental sense, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. And that's, that's just like saying the first compulsive bite. I always still think, oh, I can have just one because... Most people, normal people, people without this compulsive eating disorder can have just one or perhaps two and say, wow, that was really delicious and they're happy. Whereas I have one, which turns into two, which turns into four, which turns into 24 until there's no more to eat. I simply cannot stop. No matter how many times I say, that's it, that's enough, no more. It continues to call my name. So there obviously is something that makes me take that first compulsive bite, but then there's my disease that makes me take bite after bite after bite. And that's the challenge that I face with this compulsion of the mind and allergy of the body. And it's a battle every day. But so far, day at a time, it's a battle I've managed to overcome. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Carrie K. Mary H., you're next. Hi, I'm Mary H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Northern California. Melanie, can you hear me? I can. Okay. Um, two parts of this stand out for me. That hammer metaphor, of course, sounds crazy, but it's not. Because when I think of um, before getting in the program, I leaned on my husband so much to... Um, share because we're close friends, but he doesn't understand this malady. And I would, um, so my uh, p paralleling that hammer metaphor, how I would feel is I would feel fat, therefore I would eat. And my husband would would uh, witness this and go, "What is going on? What? I don't understand. You just said you felt fat, and now you got to." a pint of ice cream in front of you. And I go, I know, I know, I don't know. And uh, God, I'm so relieved that I don't have to lean on him anymore, poor guy, trying to figure this out. Um, and that leads into that sentence, once this malady has a real hold, they are a baffled lot. That was just, I couldn't understand what I was doing. I kept thinking, 
why am I self-sabotaging? There must be some kind of, I must be really twisted, mentally ill, and some kind of deep trauma going on here. What is this self-sabotage? And, and luckily, I found out that I, I've let go of the whole self-sabotage thing and because I have a sickness, and I wasn't doing it on purpose. I have an illness that baffles me, that wants to bring me back to the food, and I didn't understand that until I was I studied this big book. And I want to just give one more example. I remember um, in my early days finally kind of getting it, having those aha moments of, oh, that's what's happening. There's an allergy. And then I have this denial or this this mental twist that is putting me into forgetting, which is really confusing. You know, how do you know you're in denial when you're in denial? And so, but I got it for a moment and I was telling a friend and I was all excited. And, um, and then I was going to an event that night and I felt really strong that, you know, no problem. I get it. I cannot have a bite. And um, the dessert came and all of a sudden I, I don't know, this was a while ago, exactly what I was thinking, but the thoughts were that it would be okay because it had a strawberry on it or whatever my thought was. And I remember quickly getting up, at least I had some enough kind of tools in my tool belt and a little bit of recovery, went and called her and I felt so embarrassed because I was on my high horse this morning and I kind of just said, you know, I'm not sure whether I really have a problem with this food. <laughs> just... We laughed and I heard myself as I was talking out loud going, oh my God, I'm insane. And she just laughed and said, yep, me too. And um, so thank God we have each other to to understand this and, and laugh sometimes and cry. Um, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Mary H. Who else would like to comment on paragraph one and two, page 23 of the big book? Reggie O. Hi, Reggie. Anybody John else? John Kate. Hi, John Kate. Anyone else? Star one. Deborah R. Hi, Deborah R. Okay, that sounds good. Let's go with Sherry Reggie O. Oh, John K. Hi, Sherry Katie. I'll catch you real quick there, too. Okay, we have Reggie O., John K., Deborah R., and Sherry K.B. Good morning again, Reggie. Hey, good morning, Melanie. Thanks so much for your service and everybody who's giving service and sharing on the phone this morning. Uh, this is Reggie, gratefully recovered in <clears throat> Los Angeles area. And uh, you know what? Is, is, uh, we were reading these uh, paragraphs. I, this image came to my mind of being in Georgia with my family and a cake, be, a cake sitting up on the washing machine. And, um, and I would think, uh, I'm going to have one slice of this cake. And uh, yeah, and I know probably most of you know, can can relate to this in some version. And I would take one slice and um, and I would eat it, and it would be delicious. But I, at that moment, I knew that would be the only slice that I would take. <clears throat> I would enjoy it. And then it was like I would be compelled to go back and get a second slice. And I would know that that second slice would be the only slice that I would eat. And every slice that I would return to over and over again until I was hiding, uh, taking the slices, and until the cake was almost gone, 
every slice was always the last slice I think I would know that I was going to have, you know, and that was just like a, you know, that would happen, you know, in an evening or an afternoon or whenever that, whenever that, you know, the case may be, but it would go from one happy slice to, you know, maybe three quarters of a cake where I was hiding and then wondering what would people think when they saw the cake gone. And, um, that was like a, a, a mini uh, reflection of like the whole of the compulsive eating when it would take over, you know, I'll just, I'm just going to do, sometimes it would be, I'm just going to go have an entire bag of M&M's and I, cause I, I've known I could not eat M&M peanuts, just one ever. And, but the, you know, the one bag of M&M's would never be enough. But, and then, and then there would be times when I had some recovery and I, and the compulsion would take over and I would eat something, and uh, and then when it, when the compulsion was gone, and I would look back at that moment in that time, I would get that where I was conscious was not where I was when the compulsion took over. It was like it was a whole different state of mind that would come in to take over uh, that I had really didn't have any control over when it would when it would happen. And you know when I look at that, it's like you know, with the other side of that being you know sometimes being able to eat something that would not that I wouldn't eat today and it would be okay for a week or two and then uh, and I just eat it again it would be okay eat it again it would be okay and at some point and then I would eat it and, and it would the, the the compulsion the craving you know and the compulsion would take off but I would never know when that was going to happen you know so it was this uh it, it's uh boy what a way you know what that to to if I just, you know, think about it right now with some clarity of mind reading it on this, you know, what a way to live or not live, to be uh, just to be run by whatever that is. And, and you know, knowing today that a, a spiritual awakening, that psychic change that we get by the work of this program and continuing it is, for me, the only thing that has ever uh, come close to working. But this, you know, this really works if I stay with it. And... Uh, because there's nothing, nothing else is big enough to handle that uh, that compulsion that I have absolutely no control over. Uh, or no control over. So that's my share, and uh, I got. Thank you, Reggie O. John K. You're next. Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is John Kiernan. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from the Los Angeles area. There's a couple of great uh, passages in here that just hit me. You know, the whole idea of the whys, you know, the hundred alibis as to why, you know. Um, yeah, I've, you know, and I've, I've had spontees who came back and, you know, well, this happened and that happened. And, and some of them are perfectly horrible things that happened. And I say to them, well, you know, did, when this happened, did you ever, uh, did you consider placing a bet on a horse? And they look at me like I'm nuts. And I go, no, because you're not a compulsive gambler. But I guarantee you a sponsor in GA will hear that exact whatever the why was to tell you that's why they placed the bet on the horse. And that's why I have that strange uh, illness that makes me go to the food. It's, you know, like, like many people have said, food's not the uh, problem, it's the solution to us. And that whole thing here that where, again, they say, you know, that the, uh, somehow someday you'll beat the game, you know, going back to the gambler's analogy, uh, uh, you know, I, it's like one of the few addictive things I didn't get was gambling. And when I can look as a non-gambler at somebody who's a compulsive gambler, well, why, gee, why don't they just stop? I would think to myself, but of course, I've been around long enough, I know, of course, it's an addiction, you know? 
But, you know, when I watched those gamblers, I was like, well, you know, they, they're going to go to these casinos. You can't beat the casino. Everybody knows that. But didn't I do the same thing? Wasn't I always trying to beat the casino when it came to food? Well, maybe if I do this, and someday I'll do that. And, then, you know, right here, the, the, they put those two words together, you know, perfectly about the uh, somehow, someday, you know. And, you know, you jump ahead to more about alcoholism, the idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. Yeah, you know, that's that's just it. And part of the problem is, for me, I'll speak of myself, I had a great brain. I have a very a great abilities in every area except my addictions to take care of problems with this great brain. And, and I love now, even in recovery, understanding this disease because it helps me a little analytically to understand it, but it only helps me in terms of making me understand it, that it wasn't a weakness, it wasn't a good and bad thing uh, to be able to understand it. But at the end of the day, all this intelligence I can have, it has to be pushed to the side because I, at the end of the day, I need a power greater than myself. You know, my old first sponsor said, if you could have done this yourself, you'd have done it by now. And it really was true because there isn't the defense against the strange mental blank spot. You know, um, and and I, it's you know, it took me a long time to get that. That no matter how much I know about this disease, I was I was 14 years in this program, going to meetings three to five meetings a week, and I was in the middle of a horrible relapse cycle. And now I was just using program things as to why I ate. You know, so talk about a strange mental blank spot. The longer you're around, the stranger they get. You know, but the problem was, and, and I'm going to end on this, is that. This is a disease that, you know, comes from insanity, you know. And, and I love the, the definition I heard years ago that insanity is a state of mind that prevents normal perception. And if I've got a great brain that can make wonderful decisions, it has to be based on the input put in. And if I have a, an insanity that prevents normal perception, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing because I don't understand and I need a higher power, you know, and the cold key. The higher power means I've got to start with surrender, getting out of the driver's seat. Because I was in the driver's seat for a long time, and all I managed to do was, you know, put the car in the ditch. So um, it's great to have all this intellect. And like he says in that paragraph, there's a thousand plausible things, but it's not going to help because I still need to, to then turn to a power greater than myself. With that, I bet. Thank you, John K. Deborah R., you're next. Good morning, fellows, and um, good morning, everyone. Thank you for your service. And um, once this melody has a real hold, they are a baffled lot. That that definitely described me. I didn't know what was going on, and um, I had no idea that I had a twofold problem, an allergy of the body, the obsession of the mind. I had not even learned that the main problem centers in my mind uh, rather than my body. But I did often suspect that I was down for the count. Um, and I tried different diets, calorie counting, um, white knuckling it, following this sheet or that sheet. And uh, nothing seemed to help. I could lose it for a little while, but I could never keep it off. And the obsession was just as vicious when I did tick back up than when I left off. And that does not seem to change. And as I continue to read the book and study it, I know that um, if I were to um, be insane enough to uh, 
uh, allow myself to get out of that spiritual condition by working my 10, 11, 12 and working with sponsees and um, helping out at group level and intergroup level and other areas that um, this disease would wield itself right back into my consciousness. I am recovered, but I am not cured. Um, and it is very true. Um, I'm back up toward the top. Um, these observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink. But as someone addicted to a substance, um, I have to break through the denial. And somebody said it's hard to see your denial when you're in it. Um, and sometimes we just need to be so desperate, or I needed to be so desperate, that I didn't care. I just wanted what they had, and I was willing to do whatever they said. And the best way to put it down is to put it down and identify my red light foods and my green light foods and take anything on my yellow list and put it in the red just for now and just for today, um, perhaps. But um, And then go from there. And with that, um, I'm glad I'm not as baffled as I used to be and that I'm willing to help anybody else who feels like they're baffled. You can always have a conversation, and with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Deborah. And as we move on to Sherry Kibbe, I want to tell you that we'll take a break for a moment for a promo after Sherry's finished talking, then we'll open up again for discussion. Hey, Carrie. I mean, Sherry. Good morning. Melanie, good morning, everybody. This is Sherry KB in Northern California, grateful, recovered, compulsive reader. Thank you for your service, Melanie. Um, can I be heard? You can. Okay. Um, therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. You know, for me, um, I always thought the problem uh, was in my body. I just thought if I lost the weight, everything would be fine. And actually, I was told that all my life growing up. When I was a kid, you know, your main problem, Sherry, is your weight. And if you just lost weight, everything would be fine. So, boy, did I buy the farm on that one. Um, and so I spent my life on diets and, um, you know, all kinds of, I mean, thousands of dollars on diets. Um, and then even getting into OA, you know, I was educated about this disease. But, you know, for years it didn't take. I mean, I knew that. I knew that I had an allergy of the body. Um, but that's how I, that's where I stopped. Um, I, you know, I didn't get that I had an obsession of the mind. I didn't get the memo that I had an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind and that, you know, that I had to get into this book um, in order to be spiritually transformed. Um, I could tell you story after story about how my mind played games with me and how the things I did with the food and the crazy things that I've done, um, the insanity of... Um, you know, logically to me, I remember trying this particular cake item and liking it so much I bought it for a party. I took it home. I started out with just, um, I used to uh, put my finger around the bottom of the icing. That's what I used to do. And then it, it went up. And uh, next thing I know, the entire cake was gone, so I had to go out and buy another one for the um, party. And this is all within a week, okay, mind you. And so I went and I decided to buy two cakes, one for me and one for the party. I ate both of those and went back and bought two more. And this was within a week. I mean, talk about the insanity of the disease. And then I heard a friend of mine say, um, you know, it's kind of like 
knowing that information, that you would think you would stop. You'd, you'd think something was wrong with that. But in my mind, it made logical sense. So I was in the mental obsession, and I didn't know how to put it down. And then I would pray and ask my higher power for help, and then I, it would be, I would get help, but then I'd go back into the food because I thought it would be different this time. And it's kind of like if you're allergic to poison ivy and um, you stay away from poison ivy, you know you shouldn't be doing it. But, but my mind would tell me, take your clothes off, Sherry, and go roll in the poison ivy. And that's where my mental obsession would take me. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Sherry KB. And just for a brief moment, I'd like to take some time to do a convention promo. In case you didn't know, in case you haven't heard, (laughs) in case you haven't read it on our website, we do have a convention coming up in five short months. Five short months. September 2017, the 15th through the 17th at the Liberty International Airport Marriott in northern New Jersey. We're going to all converge together. A thousand of us, a thousand of your very closest friends are going to converge together. Please don't miss this opportunity to see recovery face-to-face, the bright, shining eyes, the excitement, the enthusiasm, the gratitude. Don't miss it. For more information on this, please go to our website at www.avision4u.info. If you need assistance with rooms or transportation, go to our community board and post your question. And with that, I'll now transition back to opening up for discussion on page 23, there is a solution, paragraph one and two. Who would like to share? Leah. Sylvia. I have Leah S. and Sylvia. Anybody else? Christina Rocky J. Rocky in Arizona. I have Christine J. and I have Rocky. Okay, let's go with that lineup. Sounds good. So I have Leah S., Sylvia F., Christine J., and Rocky I. Good morning, Leah. Good morning. Good morning. It is so good to be on this line. Uh, thank you very much. This is Leah Essay, Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Brooklyn. <clears throat> I uh, I want to comment on 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 staying stopped and being stopped and the promises of this big book. It is like truly, truly a miracle. Um, I didn't really think about that, but. When I when I started thinking about it, it came back to me. Back in 1981, I had lost a lot of weight. I had lost 75 pounds, and I was at my I was really at my high. And I maintained that weight loss for three and a half years, uh, perhaps a little bit more. But then my sponsor left, and she left program. And what I want to bring out is that my higher power was my sponsor at that time. And the truth of the matter is, there is nothing, there is absolutely nothing or anyone that can remove this insanity of wanting the trigger foods, but a really, truly higher power, something that is so infinite and it is so important. And since I came back in 2012, I have been abstinent since 2013, and I cannot believe it. But there is so much depth in this program. There is so much more 
in the the fact of staying stopped, but not even wanting it and not even craving it. That that is even more and beyond, and it is a truly truly a miracle. Thank you for letting me share. I pass. Thank you, Leah S. WF. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you for your service. Good morning, visionaries. I am Sylvia F., recovered compulsive overeater in uh, Northern California. And uh, what paragraphs? The main problem is the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. And the strange truth is that he usually has no more more idea why he took that first drink than you have. And and, um, so one of the things, uh, that was true for me before I worked these steps, I did not understand why he took that first drink. And my experience now is I can understand now, and that's how I stay abstinent. And, you know, I realize that so many, you know, so many people say, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know how you do it. And I think that the answer is that as I worked the steps, I started to be able to, to feel what that crazy feeling was before I picked up and that was the pause. And um, yesterday and the day before, I was under a lot of stress, more stress than normal. It was all positive. It was exciting projects, but it was all positive. And, um, And I was absolutely aware. I walked into this place with my husband and the only thing I was aware of was the bowl of potato chips on the counter. That's what I was aware of. I wasn't present at all. And, um, and so the next thought is, uh-oh, uh-oh. And um, so the impression that, that once you're recovered, you're never going to have your, uh, you're never going to have food thoughts or you're never, you're never going to look over the precipice. I felt like my, my, little toes were looking over the precipice at, you know, getting back into the food. And so the gratitude in recovery is, first of all, getting to see that I can remember I am a compulsive overeater. Absolutely. And um, so I got to remember that. And I got to step back and talk to my sponsor and figure out what happened. And, you know, the thing is, is I'd been, I'd been working the program I'd been on the meetings and I worked with three people yesterday and what hadn't I done? I hadn't connected to God, you know, it's that simple. It's not easy, but it's that simple. And um, now, you know, I get the serenity again. I get the serenity. I get to step back from that precipice. I am very grateful to remember that it's there. I definitely, I'm a compulsive overeater and recovered by the grace of God today. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sylvia F. Christine J. Hi, this is Christina J. from Washington State. And um, I'm very grateful for everyone on the line. There's been some incredible shares today. And uh, thank you all for your service. I've been in and out of relapse. I I think I can go back and and, um, carefully say that uh, I've been messing around with food since I went through the 12 steps, um, I found ways to work the system, or my disease did, whispering things in my ear. And what I've come to know over time is, yes, I can't take a first bite of anything, 
but that I never really used the steps and the tools to handle life on life's terms. I took what I wanted and I left the rest. And um, you can't do that, or I can't do that. I've come to appreciate the value of the steps. And I've come to appreciate the fellowship. You know, I'm an isolator. I'm an overeater. I like to isolate when I overeat. And I like to isolate when my mind starts going crazy with the futility of my life, it seems at times, the depression. I'm in a real strange transition right now um, between jobs, between careers. Um, one career has died and another one is trying to open. And there's been a lot of grief around the process. And so my disease is using every opportunity. So two days ago, I go into town, and this is the same thing that happened to me when I first joined Vision, and I realized what was going on. I'm feeling the futility of life. I've had my lunch. I'm not hungry, and yet I feel hungry. And I had just come off a relapse um, about a week ago, and the horrific, you know, the relapses get worse. So I had had a horrific time, and even though I knew if you take a bite, you're going to go tumbling down, and it's going to be another horrific evening because you're not going to be able to stop, and you're going to keep going. Why don't you make a call? And it was just the smallest voice ever. <laughs> but the disease voice says, you you can't handle today. It's horrible. And I had a complete spiritual blackout. And this is what happens when the twist of the mind comes in. This fog rolls in. Suddenly there's no other choice. There's no phone call to make. There's no step to work. There's no pulling over to the side of the road and praying. There's just the food looming in front of me at the store around the corner. And so I have started working all the things I never used to work with a fever, working with my sponsor more deeply. And so I know I have an absolutely insane mind. And uh, the only way for me to learn to handle life on life's terms, which I never used to do, I only knew how to handle it with food since I was a child. So it's a deeply ingrained root. The only way for me to handle life on life's terms is to work these steps, hang on to the recovery that other people have, the examples and to hope for that spiritual breakthrough um, through my fellows and through the steps and through the tools. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm so glad you're here. God bless. I pass. Thank you, Christina J. Rocky I. Star one. Good morning. This is Rocky in Tempe, Arizona, recovered by the grace of God. Um, can I be heard? Am yes, I online? Okay. All right. Good. Um, thank you everybody for your shares and honesty. Uh, what the two sentences that spoke to me this morning is um, regarding the, the mind. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. And then towards the end, um, there's the obsession that somehow someday will beat the game. Um, before program, I never thought of how detrimental the food was for me. I always, um, without realizing it, I always saw it as the, oh, the comfort, the life is good. Um, but it has been through um, learning the program, like, and I did all the literature. I did lots of meetings with lots of literature. I have like two huge bags, which are good because I didn't know anything. I had to come and learn a new way of life. But now I realize that the message was diluted and not until I got into the big book two years ago um, that really took my recovery to a recovered uh, stage. 
I am recovered. I have not gone back to the food. All the harmful behaviors in a long, long time, just like it says in appendix, whatever, Roman numeral. Um, so I learned that that it was not about the food. It was in my head uh, the crazy idea that um, that the food was was the solution. Uh, today, as a recovered person, I know, I am convinced that food um, has broken my feet twice, has torn my meniscus, uh, got me to put a lot bun in my stomach, which doesn't work, but I'm not going to take it out, and it's just a reminder of my stupidity. Um, now I'm convinced that the food is really detrimental, you know, the high blood pressure, the the sugar, you know, the diabetes, um, and so today I'm recovered. Not, not only my body has recovered, uh, I'm out of medication except for my mental health, my anxiety and um, depression sometimes. Um, but I don't take any blood, you know, any high blood pressure, any uh, diabetic medication. Uh, it's just the way I eat in my program. I work my program vigorously, and um, abstinence comes effort, effortless. I can't speak effortless, or effort, you know what I mean. Um, so just very thankful that this book is out here and that um, we can use it to recover. And yes, we recover. We are never cured. But we do recover, and it's so peaceful. And today I don't fight the food. I had an image of myself, like, cutting the hat, juggling all these different things. And today I'm, like, one person with hands crossed, really, really calm. Um, so my encouragement for the newcomers is dig into the book because uh, that's, that's your lifesaver. Like, it has saved me. And so with that, I'll pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Rocky. I appreciate that. You know, folks, that brings us to the end of this hour's study. So I would like to thank everyone who shared today. It's been a wonderful study. And give you the share ID for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time meeting yesterday, April 4th. It's 9796. 9796. And repeat this morning, 7 a.m. Share ID 97. And now we will close the reading from the big book, close this meeting today with a reading from the big book on page 164, and we'll follow that with a serenity prayer. Rocky, I, would you please read a vision for you? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Uh, Sure. All right. So our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we only know a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who's still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of, the, of your past. Give freely what you find, 
give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.